Good evening. We went in Jonah chapter 3. Jonah 3. We missed last week because of business meeting, so we're trying to catch up where we were. Obviously, Jonah was on a boat trying to run from God. I want to ask you if you've ever tried to run from God. If you did, did it work? It doesn't seem to work when you try to run from God. So Jonah wasn't running from God, he was attempting to run from God. And uh, then God got his attention through the storm, and then through the fish, and uh, in, in the belly of the fish, he cries out, praises God, repents, gets his heart right with God, and then God had the fish, verse 10 of chapter 2, and the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited Jonah upon the dry land. Father, we thank you tonight. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, even for this story, as we've heard it since we were kids, Lord, and a great story for us to remember not only your love for the lost, but your love for us. When we try to run from you, you always pursue us, you chase after us, and you always win. And we know that, and yet we still all try to do it from time to time. So Lord, help us as we continue to study this story to understand that you have an incessant love for us, to follow your will, to do what you want us to do, because you are always right, and we are not. So we thank you for it. Teach us what you want us to learn tonight, in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we've seen a man running from God. Tonight we see the man with an obedient heart. So the Lord vomits, the, the fish vomits Jonah up on the dry land, and what do you think he looked like? Bleached, like incredibly. Probably he looked like nobody else living in that area. Again, we in our western white skin, you know, might might be looking a little bleached, but again, those uh, over the Middle East, somebody like him with an olive complexion and then being bleached would have stuck out like a sore thumb. And you wonder if not only the story that they heard about Jonah, because the story traveled. Um, this guy got swallowed by fish, and now he's coming here to speak to us. And they probably heard, why was he like this? Why was he swallowed by a fish? Well, he was running from God. So the story spread, no doubt, as it got there, before even he got there. And, and then his appearance, no doubt, would have been something that caught everybody off guard, and they looked at him, and here he is proclaiming and preaching, and, and, and the word of God went forth. So, chapter 3, verse number 1, God sends his prophet one more time, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. So here's the message that God comes and gives to Jonah. And what was the message? Go do what I told you to do the first time. Like, remember I told you to go to Nineveh and preach and proclaim the word, and then I wonder if Jonah was thinking, after all that he went through, after he died his heart right with God, the fish puts him up on the land again, and he knows God has a mission for him. I wonder if he was thinking, now God's going to tell me, all right, now that that's over, 
I want you to go this place. Somewhere different. You wonder what was in his mind. And, I, and when God said, all right, here's my mission for you now. Same exact mission. Um, if that were me, I would have been hoping, all right, God, um, I learned my lesson. And probably you learned that I don't really want to go there. So you'll probably at this point use somebody who really wants to go there and minister. But I don't want to go there. But that doesn't work that way, does he? God often will say, all right, here's what you did. You failed the test. But since I'm a good and loving God, I'm going to give you the same exact test. God does that in our lives all the time. He will, when we fail the test and we get things right with God, he will often say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try to teach you this same lesson over again because I can't take you deeper until you learn this one. So I want you to learn this lesson. So he says to John, all right, here's, here's the message. I want you to go to Nineveh. Great city, go preach again to the preaching that I bid you to do. And then it says, and Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. It's about a 500 mile journey. Um, again, he's probably traveling by foot uh, to get there. Um, certainly had to clean himself up a bit. Um, he certainly has to make sure that his heart is right as he goes there. So what's his motivation when he goes to preach against the people in Nineveh. Why, why is he going? Is his heart right with the Lord at the time when he goes and does this? Because we know it's not in chapter 4. We know his heart's not right. That's what he's hoping for, right? But in the back of his mind, what's he thinking? I'll go where I want to. If I go, they're probably going to repent. I don't want that to happen. But he does go, which is a good thing, right? Because we've all been told to go, and God is, we've told God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. And we wrestle with God, and we wrestle with God, and finally get God wins, and then we, we go do it. Like, he did it. But again, now it goes back to the motivation. Why is he going? And again, we can't see inside of his heart. Now, God can, and God's going to use him. And if his heart wasn't right here, do you think God would have tried to get his attention a little bit? Probably. So it, it appears that he's, he's doing his best to make sure that his heart is right with God, even though he's doing something he doesn't want to do. You ever wrestle with that? Isn't that a constant battle that we face? Because God often puts us in those positions where he says, listen, here's what I want you to do. And we're like, yeah, but I don't, I don't really want to do that, Lord. I would, I would, you know, I would much rather be a missionary to Hawaii like, or some other exotic island. And God says, I, I, I know, but I'm going to have you do something different. And, and he often has us do things that we don't always want to do. Why does that do that? Where our faith is, right? Are you going to trust me that I'm God, I know what I'm doing, and I just simply want you to obey me because you love me? So no matter what God asks us to do, our attitude should be, yes, Lord. Because in light of all that you've done for me, how can I do anything else? But that's where we wrestle in our heart, right? And, and no doubt Jonah, he was so upset with this, he's like, just kill me. 
And then when he does heart with God, he goes and does it. So he arises, he goes to Nineveh to preach the message that God has for him. So we can only assume that at this point, his heart was right. Yet struggling, right? I will do it, but I don't. I don't really want to do it. Lord, help me. Help me. Because my, my attitude stinks sometimes, but help me to do it. And in the 500-mile journey, I wonder, I wonder how many times he had to talk to Lord about that and say, Lord, I'm doing it. I'm trusting you. And then some moments, in some days, he was like, Lord, can I do something else? And he's, he's, he's no doubt battling with his own will here to submit and surrender to the Lord's will. But the good thing is, he kept doing it. He kept trusting in the Lord. There's a, there's a thing I put on Facebook tonight, a good article, but it talked about that concept of when we struggle with doing what God wants us to do, but we still say, I'll do it. That's part of our faith. It's like, you know, we're struggling here, but we keep walking. We keep stepping forward. And, um, and that's, I think, where Jonah's at. I don't think his heart is like, all right, things are perfect between me and the Lord now. He's wrestling, but taking steps of faith. So. Yeah, it could be. It could be. Although after it, he well, says, "Yeah, yeah." Because and when he does read that, we'll get to chapter next week. But when he does, he's like, "I knew that was going to happen." You know. So deep down, he's like, "God's going to do it." But if I preach and they get saved, he's going to. And he's, I don't want them to repent. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. And again, it's a battle. Right? We, it, I think God put this book for us because this is where we live. We live there often where we wrestle with the will and the mind of God because God doesn't make sense to us at times. And we scratch our head and think, but God, I would have done so much different. Because eventually, God sends another prophet, the next generation later, and says, it's too late, you're done. And that's the message Jonah wanted to preach. But he doesn't get to preach that message. And I wonder if that prophet was thinking, you mean there's no chance, God? Why can't there be a chance for You know? But God chooses who he wants to use, where he wants to use them, for the purpose that he has, and not our purpose. So, again, the good thing about Jonah is he went, finally. Now, he went through a bunch of mess. But I think God's reminding us, don't, don't do it all that way. I ask you to do something, just do it. Because it's so much easier to just do it than to not do the right thing. You know, we all struggle with you know these people who figure out all kind of creative ways to cheat the system, to lie, to steal, or whatever. Like, if you just use your brain for good, but people don't want to do that. That's what God says to me. You know what? If you just obey me, whatever I tell you to do, your life would be so much easier. Well, I can't, but I don't like that, so I'm going to figure a way around you. And God says, you can't figure a way around me. I'm God. I will have my will accomplished in your life. So just surrender. And yet, every one of us, we wrestle with God from time to time. 
So anyways, goes to Nineveh. Now look at verse number three. It says this. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. Um, the word exceeding, it's, it's really odd, but the word exceeding is the word Elohim. What's that word translated? God. Now, no Bible version translates this. It was a great city of God. It, they all translate it. I looked at almost every version. They all translate it as an as a, as a exceeding great city or a massive city, huge city, something like that. And, but I can't help but wonder if when God said it, it wasn't just a big city. No, it was a big city. It, it, it was a city of, they estimated about 600,000 people. It, it, it was a 60-mile in circumference. It had walls that were 100 feet high where you could fit three chariots abreast across the top of the city. So it was a massive city with a lot of people. And I think that's the concept. There was a lot of people in that city. It was a big city. But when he said it was an Elohim great city, I can't help if it was like, this is a great city of God because there's a bunch of people in that city that were created in the image of God. I know they're all wicked. They were created in language. You know, we look at a lot of places in our world and we think there's a lot of wicked people in this world. But every ungodly person was created in the name of God. And God died for every single individual and he wants us to have a compassion and a burden to reach out to the lost around us. And, and we, we try, right? Because we want to reach out to those who are sinners and heading toward hell, but not the ones that are like the, the dregs of society who are just evil and wicked all the time, right? That's where we struggle, which is where Jonah struggled. Because we all know that there are some people who are like, man, they deserve the entire full power of God's judgment for all of eternity. And, you know, they deserve it. Well, that was the heart of Jonah. And God doesn't want me to have that heart. God wants me to have a heart of compassion for everyone. Because think of the most ungodly person that you can think of today who deserves the full judgment of God. And but by God's grace, that you are meant. You know, we, our heart was just as wicked, just as far from God. We were as depraved. You may not have been as bad as them, but by God's grace. Had we been in their same circumstances growing up, maybe we would have been just like them. And yet, Jonah, his heart was, I will minister to those who deserve to be ministered to, but not those who don't. And God says, listen, I died for all. And I, and I want you to be willing to go and serve me. And so, God says it was a great city. So Jonah, verse number four, he enters into the city, a day's journey, does it three days, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Was that the entire message? Like for three days, was he just going around saying, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown? You think there was more to the message? Probably, right? What's that? Yeah. So, so you know, that's all we know that he said, but no doubt there were other things. 
then who are you and why do you look like that? Like, if I've never seen anything that looks like you, and he no doubt would share, well, I was using belly screens. And, and, and was this the first time you think that they ever heard that you people are wicked and God is going to judge you? There are other problems, right? Other people had come to them and said, listen, you're sinning against the holy God of Israel. And they would have said, Who, who's the God of Israel? We, we have our own gods. And, and so they would have mocked, and, and they had a history. They hated the Israelites, and they hated the Israelites' God. So they, they had heard before to repent, but something was different. So part of what was different was the look of Jonah, right? Part of what was different was the message of Jonah, the three days' continuous journey. There, there's something different, but... What else is going on that was different this time than they've ever heard before? Somebody went to them? So they had a prophet being sent by God to them, right? They didn't just hear it, hearsay or whatever. So a prophet has come to them, sent from God, an unusual prophet. Anything else? So that story not only traveled to Nineveh, but it traveled to the Ammonites, right? The Moabites. Did they have a massive re revival? So something unique is going on in Nineveh. When the Great Awakening took place in America, here, it was, it was a great preaching of you know, Jonathan Edwards and others, right? But there's something else that was going on. What was that? Another, just more, right? What, what, what about the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2? Was it just because Peter was a phenomenal preacher? What was going on in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit of God was working. Right? So, we look at Jonah's message, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And massive revival. Like the whole city is revived and gets saved. It wasn't because he was a great preacher. Have there not been times when you have clearly shared the gospel with somebody? You're like, man, I just went through everything. How could you not get this? And they're like, Nothing. And there's other times you maybe share the gospel and the eyes are open. You're like, oh. Was it all in your delivery? Or was the Holy Spirit working? No. Yeah. Yeah. 
again, people can't be saved apart from the Spirit without work. So, do we need to be prepared with the right words and the right message? Of course. But we also need to be praying that God would work in our hearts that God would do His work. I didn't just say the funeral today. You know, those who, uh, a lot of people were there, and a lot of people were unsaved there. Um, uh, and all we can do is share the gospel with people. We've got to pray that God would work in people's hearts because apart from the working of God, it, it, it's, it's not about a human being convincing another human being of the truth of God's word. It has to be activated more for the Holy Spirit of God in somebody's life. And for whatever reason, God chose to breathe on the Ninevites with his miraculous power. And it wasn't because Jonah was praying for him. Maybe there were other people praying for him. We don't know. But, but, but for whatever reason, God chose to do a great work in Nineveh to change people's lives. And again, is, is that like a one-off? Or you know, is that something that could happen again in certain pockets of the world? We're seeing it, right? Not too many places in America, right? But we're seeing it in different parts of the world where the Spirit of God breathes on a group of people and massive people are getting saved. And praise God in some churches and some communities and some nations. And boy, we want that here, right? Wouldn't we love to hear that, you know, Carney's Point, the Holy Spirit worked in Carney's Point and people were massively getting saved in a great way? Again, that can't be because of any programs that we do or anything that we manipulate or whatever we might advertise, it has to be the power of the work of God, which goes back to well, how do we get that? Well, pray. Pray a lot, right? We need to be praying personally, praying as a church, and seeking the mind and will of God, but God will do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, and the time he wants to do it, and there's nothing we can do about it to change that other than beg God to do something. We all have individuals in our lives that we would love to see come to know Christ. And again, we can share the gospel, we should. We can, you know, live the gospel, we should. But we need to pray that God will get a hold of their heart. Because apart from the working of God, nobody can be convinced of salvation. Just your salvation. How did it come about? You know, and, you know, even if you grow up in a Christian home, it came about because God was working in your heart first. And that's what's going on here. The people of Nineveh, verse 5, they believed God. They proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest, and that means the least enough. For a word came out of the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and laid his robe from him, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and find mightily under God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? So again, the king hears it. The word comes to the king. Hey, there's this guy, Jonah, walking through the city proclaiming that in 40 days judgment's going to fall. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of his heart. And then he declared a decree, everybody must fast for the next 
you know, 30 days, no eating, no drinking, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. What was the sackcloth and ashes about? Why did they sit in sackcloth and ashes? What is sackcloth? It's like some kind of skin or animal skin, or and they would cover themselves. It was itchy. Why would they want to put itchy stuff on them? It was a form of repentance, right? It was like I am I am going to do this and in a sense punish myself and make life uncomfortable and pour my heart out to God and sit in ashes. And, and it was a form of repentance. It was a form of we are sorry for our sins. And so, so the king lays aside his robe and publicly does that. And then everybody else is ordered to do that. Man and animals, you can't eat or drink for three days. How long can you go without water? Three days. You can go without food a long time, but without water for three days. But his, his attitude is, we're going to take it to the very depth of almost death, begging God to forgive us of our sins. And again, they were genuinely repentant and begging God to forgive them. And the people as a nation, again, 600,000 people estimated in that, in that city. And, and we don't know if everybody was serious, but many of them were clearly serious, and God's not a revival. And, and you look at that and think, wow, how in the world did that happen? Because Jonah didn't want that to happen. Like, you would think you would have sent a prophet who really wanted that, whose heart was, I really want these people to repent. His heart was, I want these people to die. But that's the way God works sometimes. And again, God used Jonah as the trigger, but ultimately it was the power of God that was working where God sends a revival among the people. John 6, 44 says, No man can come to the Father except he draw them to himself. Again, God did that in our lives, and God maybe used your parents or a sibling or a friend or somebody in your life as the trigger to bring you to God. But ultimately, everybody is saved because the Holy Spirit of God is working on us. And apart from the Spirit of God, we're dead. <clears throat> and, and He worked, and He, and, and he breathed, and he, and, and he used these people to, to come. To God. So, were these people genuinely serious about turning from their sins? Genuinely serious about turning from their gods and worshiping Jehovah? Or is this kind of like a foxhole prayer? Like, let's all do this so that maybe God will see us and, 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 and we won't, you know, be killed. You think they were serious? No. He saw their works. Did he see their hearts too? Because God can see our works, and our works not match our heart, and God judges us based on what's in our heart. But if there's a lot of good people in this world do a lot of good works, but their heart's not right. Hold your, hold your place here. Let's look at a couple passages that talk about this. Go to Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel 14. Because when you think about what repentance looks like, we use the passage in, in Ephesians 2, the funeral, for my grace you say, your faith out of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, but sin against your bows. Now, what's verse 10 say? Is that? Good, that's 8 9. 
were his workmanship, created Christ Jesus unto good works. So God clearly says, listen, your good works have nothing to do with you getting saved. It's all offended. Once you get saved, what does he expect? Good works. So I have to do good works? After salvation, yes. He expects that. Because once we are saved, there is a repentance from our dead works on the new works, and we this new man in Christ, and God uses that to make us more like him. And so when you're genuinely converted, you will want to do good works. Ephesians, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 14, verse number 5. It says that I may take the house of Israel in their own heart, because they are all estranged from me through their idols. You've got to talk about their heart and the idols that were in their heart. God saw their heart. God saw their idols, and God couldn't take them unless they turned from their idols. We can't turn to God unless we turn from something. I often use the idea of repentance is a hundred meters of return. I was going this way, and now I'm going this way. And, and that's the idea of genuine repentance. Go to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Verse number 7. Verse number 6. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. So is there a time when maybe God can't be found anymore? Seems like it. When you're dead, right? Or, or when the, the Holy Spirit says, I am done. I'm not going to continue to seek after you. And sadly, that, I think there's a point where some people may get to. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon and that's repentance. It's forsaking our way, forsaking our unrighteous thoughts, and returning unto the Lord. And that's when we can have mercy upon us. And we know all in 2 Corinthians 5 17, therefore, feminine is in Christ. He is a new creature. Old things are, and all things are become new. So again, that's repentance. And we understand that the, the people in Nineveh, they couldn't just say to Jonah, or if they had said to Jonah, all right, Jonah, we're going to give up our God, and we're going to worship your God, and we're going to, we're going to every Sabbath, we're going to set up synagogues around, and we'll go to the synagogues every Saturday, but we're still going to be wicked, ungodly people. We're not going to change any of our actions. We're just going to add God to our lives, and but we're still going to go around, and we're going to kill people and pillage and, and we're going to be filthy and immoral. But we'll, we'll, we'll worship Jehovah. We'll just switch gods. Would, would that have been repentance? We're like, well, no. What's that? Yeah, we'll give you Saturday. But, you know, the rest of the week is ours and we're not going to worship God on the rest of the week. We're going to live the same way we've always lived. Is that okay with you, Jonah? Is that okay with Jehovah? Jehovah would have said, what, are you crazy? And then you, God wants a change of your heart. He wants repentance. And, and, and sadly, that's what a lot of people think. It's like, I'll, 
I'll, I'll pray the prayer, I'll do whatever I need to do, just so I can have when I die, but that's all he gets from me. And so Jonah preached faithfully. God saw their works. God saw their heart. Isaiah 29, God says, people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So they didn't pull the wool over God's eyes here. This was a country that genuinely repented and genuinely invited God in to change their lives. And there was a genuine change for a generation. Now, the next generation fully turned their hearts back to wickedness, and God did come in and judge them. But for now, verse 10, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them, and he did it not. Can God repent? Can God change his mind? Well, from our appearance, it appears that God has changed his mind. Sometimes God used wording to, to make it look like it, but was God shocked by the fact that they repented? He, he knew it. He knew what was going to happen. It's, it's not like he said, Jonah, go tell them the judgment is coming, and then Jonah does it, and they repent, and God's like, oh, no, now what do I do? So I better change my mind. I better change what I said. No, he, he knew what was going to happen. He did give them an ultimatum, and because they responded, he responded in kind, and he withheld the judgment for a generation. The judgment would come. But he, re, he, re, he repeatedly changed his mind. And again, you look at the story, and it's a great story, right? Because of what happened and how many people that we're going to meet in heaven who once were murderers, who once hated the Jews and everything that God stood for, who, who, who pillaged and killed, and, and yet God transformed them into new creations. And we're going to get to meet them in heaven one day and share eternity with them. And, you know, they're going to have a story to tell. They're going to share, you have no idea what took place when this guy, Jonah, started walking through town. And, and so it's going to be a great story that we're going to be able to share and hear about in eternity. But you look at the story and you think, Jonah didn't want to preach that message. Jonah would have much rather have been a Failure as an evangelist. Like, he would have much rather, yeah, I just went to Nineveh and preached faithfully and nobody got saved. They're all going to hell, is what he would have thought. But no, Jonah goes, not really wanting to do this, and he becomes known as one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the world. And Billy Graham was phenomenal and you know, can't, can't tell how many people came to Christ to his crusades. John Whitfield and, and others, you know, you wouldn't wish they could have had a story to tell like Jonah. But Jonah didn't want to tell the story. Jeremiah preached for 40 years from the heart, the weeping prophet. How many people were ever saved under his ministry? As far as we know? 40 years? 
the great prophet Jeremiah, and as far as we know, nobody was ever converted. Was he a failure? No, it's just that God didn't choose to breathe on the people that Jeremiah preached to. Noah preached 120 years. How many results? None other than his family. Was he a failure? No, he, he was faithful. Again, our responsibility, and maybe you say, you know, I've witnessed to people before, and nobody's ever got saved, so why bother? Well, we bother because God told us to do it. And we bother because people are dying and going to hell, and we may be getting voice in heaven. And we don't know if the 500th time we witness to somebody, the Holy Spirit's going to breathe on them, they're going to be saved. It's our task to tell, it's our task to live it, it's our task to be faithful. And again, God is a God who wants to save people. Um, he's not willing that any should perish. And some people get many opportunities, and some get one opportunity. We, we, you know, we don't know when and why, but um, whatever God does is right. And we need to just trust God with the results. Don't trust God with what makes sense to us. Because if you try to figure out what makes sense to us, and God, and how that works, it just sometimes doesn't. He, he does what he wants to do. In fact, one of the verses we read, the very next verse was, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. I have a plan. My plan is perfect. Your plan isn't. Just follow me. Just be obedient to me. God's looking for me to have an obedient heart to God. Even when it doesn't make sense. He says, just follow me. Just do what I tell you to do. It'll, it'll be so much easier. Stupid name. Sometimes stupid you, we wrestle with God. Don't, like, you know, I'm not doing that because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. So I'm going to do it this way. And every time we do, that was a bad detour, right? We ultimately have to come back to God and we have to say, God, that was wrong. I need to get right and when we need to do that, we need to do the same thing these people did. Repentance is not, yeah, I guess that probably wasn't the right thing to do. We need to repent of that. Say, God, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my attitude. Sorry for what I was thinking. Sorry for what I said. I'm going to do that again. And I'm going to submit my heart to you. And trust you once again. And that's the battle. The battle's here with me. And that's where your battle is. All the time. We wrestle in our heart with what God wants us to do and faithfully following Him. But like Jonah, this doesn't make sense. This is I know. But I want your heart. I, Jonah, I don't need your voice. I can send anybody else. I can send a bird to send a message to Nineveh. But this is about being you. I want your heart. But Jeremiah, faithful prophet. And I'm sure he wondered, Lord, what am I doing wrong? Why is nobody listening? He said, Jeremiah, it's not about you. I just want to be faithful. Because I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing. Just be faithful. And that's what God wants you and me to do. Just obedient, faithfully following God. Doing what he wants you to do. And every day we get up, we have another task. And we say, you're going to do that. And we just need to listen and follow and do what he says. Trust him with the results. I wish this place was still, and I know you do too. And I hope you invite people and talk to people about Christ, but sometimes it's like, but why, why isn't God blowing them back? I don't know. 
but let's pray that he would. And let's do our best and trust God with the results. Because he's not looking for the space to be filled evidently right now. He's looking for all of us to have obedient hearts. He's doing the same thing in Calvary, our Bible, and all around the world, every church in America. That's what he's looking for. Are my people's hearts right with me? And if our hearts are right with him and we're doing our job, and we stand before God one day, all, all he wants to say is, well done, now good and faithful servant. We can't manufacture results. It's about where our heart is with the Holy Spirit.